this Good Friday celebration here at Community Alliance Church. I'm Duke. And I'm Susan. And from wherever you're at and wherever you're watching from, welcome to all of you. We want to give a big shout out to all the frontline workers out taking care of all of us during this crisis and that we never expected. All those who are going to work every day to make sure we have food, to make sure that anyone who needs care is provided care. And not just for those that are caring, but also for those that are providing dining services and hospitality and housekeeping and maintenance and activities. Thank you so much for all that you're doing to make sure we all can be safe. And as we enter into this Good Friday and Easter weekend, we are reminded of two things, sacrifice and rising up. That is just what we saw on that first Good Friday. Jesus gave his life for our sins. God sent his only son to be sacrificed for our sins. But three days later, he rose. And I believe that as we have all fought through this and sacrificed through many things in the last few weeks, we too will rise up. We will. We sure will. So before we begin the service, we want to remind you that we will be taking communion at the end of the service. And we have our elements, body of Christ, the blood of Christ. And we will say a prayer to get things rolling here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice you made by sending your only son to die on a cross for the sinners like us. We ask that you will continue to touch everyone's lives as they struggle through this crisis and bring families closer together and give us an opportunity to really gain more perspective on what's really important in our lives, and that is our relationship with you, Almighty God. In your Holy Son's name, amen.
was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet he considered him stricken by God, submitted by him and afflicted, but we, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And we, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. But oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And through the Lord, and though the Lord makes his life a guilt suffering. He will uh, see his offspring and prolong his days, and he will, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Yet the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Shame, I hear my mocking 
Jesus bled and died for me. 
hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bowed and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's to our Good Friday service. Really appreciate all of you being here, hopefully all at the same time, so that we can share this moment together, knowing that you can certainly watch it at any given time after seven o'clock on Friday night. But just knowing that there are probably a lot of our CAC family joining us together at the same time, I think it's just a wonderful experience, even though we physically can't be in the room. I also appreciate the Loring family for welcoming us in and Ken and Ginger Seifert doing the reading at the beginning from Isaiah chapter 53, and for Dave and the worship team. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather together, even though it's not how we would normally do on a Good Friday night, but remember one of the greatest nights in the history of the world, and certainly in the history of Christianity. So as we reflect and share your word and unpack it and share communion together, whether it be tonight or later this evening or 
even tomorrow at some point in preparation for Easter. We're just delighted to know that no matter where we are, you are there. You're in our homes. You're in our offices. You're in another location. We're in other locations. We're all over the the map and maybe in many places all over the country, but we're delighted that we can be together with you right now. And so bless this time and our journey together. May you again allow us to feel the sweetness of your presence as if we were there with you that night in the upper room. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. As you can well imagine, I get a number of emails that give me an illustration or a sermon idea of one kind or the other. I probably get 40 or 50 a day just in that particular context. And I'll read them and some obviously because they're coming on so sporadically, I don't always have the opportunity to kind of process them. But one came in January from one of my favorite guys who is uh, Ron Walters, head of Salem Media Group, where we get 101.5, the word FM. And about once a month, he'll write to pastors and share some kind of a story. And you can find this story in the internet, but I wanted to give credit to him because it's where I first noticed it. And I put it away and thought, that's the story that I want to share on Good Friday night. I'm sure at some point or the other, you've heard of Ripley's Believe It or Not. Been around for decades and decades, probably not near as much as we would think of it a hundred years ago. But at its heyday, there were probably 80 million readers reading his daily stories. Some of them were kind of strange. Some of them were a little odd. Some of them were off the charts. And some of them were really wonderful. There's a story of a painter from Paris. His name is Marcel de Leclure. His story is set in 1875. He was a painter who really wanted to tell his love, Madeline, how deep his love for her was. And no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't come up with a better phrase than the French phrase, je t'aime, which is I love you. He felt that was a little bit too simple, but that's the one that he wanted to use the most. So he decided to repeat that single phrase a thousand times for every year. Now, you got to remember, this is 1875. So the words je t'aime would have been written 1,875,000 times. The task was so huge, he decided to hire a secretary to write it for him. But he wanted to be able to express it verbally, so he literally said it over and over again. Je t'aime, I love you, 1,875,000 times. Ripley concluded that letter with a phrase that went something like this. Never before has love been so evident and so much of a time and expenditure set and sent on trying to share their love. Well, it's a nice thought, but I think we all know it wasn't true. The greatest demonstration and description of love is found in Scripture. What you and I celebrated on Christmas The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God himself, the God of humanity, the God who created became flesh and dwelt among us. And then we move all the way up to Philippians when Paul said he emptied himself to do that and took on himself the form of a servant. And then comes the ultimate statement in Philippians. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, the irony is love costs God everything, but he offers it freely. Paul calls it an indescribable gift. 
Beautiful is your love, scripture tells us. Your love shows us so much mercy. God so loved the world that he gave. His love surpasses knowledge. The father has bestowed a great love on us. His love is perfecting in us. God is abounding in loving kindness. And the list goes on and on and on and on. It's almost as if Paul didn't have enough words to describe the unbelievable love of God. Listen to how he tries in Ephesians chapter three. I pray. I mean, it's almost as if he stopped to say, I don't know if you fully get this. So I'm praying for you. I pray that you are so rooted and established in that love that that will have the power together with all of God's people to somehow grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses knowledge. No matter how many times you try to prepare for a major event, it's not until you see it or live it or live through it that you fully understand. I've sat with men and women about to go into the military and we all kind of wonder, what is it going to be like? And then one of them will come back from Afghanistan or Iraq. And they'll say to me, no matter how many times we would have tried to imagine what it was like, you just can't until you're there. I've sat with families who are trying to prepare for their first funeral. The first time the family had ever gone through a death of any kind and they wanted me to help them prepare for that moment. And as much as I tried, there's no way to fully prepare for that moment until you go through it. No matter how many times we've heard stories or read about disasters or plagues from other days or other countries or other days and gone by, no one could have ever imagined the world that we're living in right now. And no one could have ever imagined the impact that it would have on the entire world. No matter how often and how many times Jesus tried to prepare his disciples for the events of what we call Good Friday, there's no way they could possibly understand it until they walked through it. And even then, you kind of wonder. It's fascinating in John 12 when John writes, at first his disciples didn't understand any of this. It was only after Jesus was glorified that they fully realize the things that had been written about him. John actually finishes his gospel by saying, if I were to write everything that would have happened about Jesus, all the libraries of the world could have never contained the story of who he was. I got to believe that all of us have heard the verse, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. You've heard it, you've said it, you've quoted it. You see somebody holding up a placard at a football game with just that phrase on it. One of the most looked up phrases in all of Google searches for that particular reason. But there's probably no other point in history where that love and that phrase for God so loved the world is demonstrated so vividly in the events of this weekend. The word love itself is only used six times in the first 12 chapters of the gospel of John, but 31 times in John 13 to 17, and demonstrated in countless ways. Take Mary, for example, in John chapter 12. Her love for Jesus was so evident and so extravagant that everyone noticed. Even if they didn't agree with how it was demonstrated, it didn't bother her. It may have not been normal. It certainly didn't appear proper, but it was love demonstrated. She walked into Jesus' presence, opened up a jar of perfume, poured it over his shoulders, and wiped his feet with her hair. 
Now, John identifies her as Mary of Mary and Martha Lazarus home. Luke 7 describes another woman who displayed a similar act. He describes her as a woman who lived a sinful life, who came into the party of a home of a Pharisee. The lesson in that particular one in Luke chapter 7 is simply this. When you've been forgiven much, you really love much. However you analyze the acts, Jesus did a similar demonstration of love just a few days later with disciples in the upper room. I find it fascinating that John is the only one that remembers it or at least identifies it and tells the story. Each one of the gospels shares different insights of the ministry and the life of Jesus all the way up to the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection. But John gives us a glimpse kind of behind the scenes of the emotional dynamic between Jesus and his disciples, especially in that upper room experience. One of the most powerful demonstrations of love you can imagine when you fully understand the context. It's found in John 13, where it says, having loved his own who were in the world, his disciples, he now showed them or demonstrated to them the full extent of that love. He got up from the Passover meal He took off his outer garment, poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet. I can't even imagine what was going through his mind because he knew exactly what was going to take place over the next few days, the next few hours. I can't even imagine what it was like for the disciples. The one they adored, the one they loved, the one they followed, the one they gave up everything for, the one they felt as their leader who's now demonstrating love to them in this incredible, intimate moment. And then, of course, the Last Supper itself. Jesus shares with them the visible symbols of his love. The bread that we're going to share tonight or whenever you share communion with your family or by yourself alone or as a couple represents his body. Every time we share communion, we talk about it. Every time we are together as a family of God and we share communion, we talk about the, the visible demonstration of that love. And we hold in our hands that small piece of bread. And we say in one of the most obvious and simple and probably most well-known things that everybody would have had in their home was bread. Jesus called himself the bread of life. And he took that bread and he said, every time you do this, every time you share communion, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember what I did. I want you to remember what I gave. I want you to remember every time you look at that, what love looked like on that cross as his body was beaten and broken and given for you and I. Isaiah said that, and Matthew reminds us that by his stripes, we are healed. Now, Debate has been down through the ages as to whether or not that meant in this life or the next life or meant eternal life. And we all know the scripture teaches us and experience shows us that it meant both. Healing is available for us today, certainly promised to us in the future. It doesn't always come in this life. It doesn't always come the moment we ask, but I've seen it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And then he shared with them the cup. He said, in this cup, simple juice or wine, obviously maybe in their their day, it symbolized the promise of forgiveness, the forgiveness of our sins, a a brand new start. All the way up in 
through the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, they offered sacrifices so that somehow God, by that sacrifice, would forgive them of their sins. And now Jesus comes saying, I am the ultimate sacrifice. What I'm about to do on the cross will demonstrate the depth of my love and the desire of God to forgive your sins and mine. And so he freely offers his life. And our life and your life and my life, we all know, comes when our blood is poured out and the end of life comes as a result of it all being poured out. And in Jesus' case, he did that. No more reminders of our past, not from God. Now, that's love. When the rest of the world keeps track, when the rest of the world keeps score, when the rest of the world reminds us of our wrongs, yet the one who should forgives. It's incredible. And then scripture tells us they sang a hymn and went out. I hope you have some music in your home tonight. You obviously can replay some of the songs that Dave and the worship team led us in tonight, or maybe you have a worship CD at home, and maybe while you're sharing communion with your family, there's something you're playing and music that we have here tonight. But I often wondered what it was like for them, even in an a cappella sense, to just sing a hymn and then go out. One of my favorite sections of scripture is John 13 to 17. And I've often pictured in my mind, and there's no way of exactly knowing, but I've often pictured in my mind that from that section in John 14 to 17, when he prays, I've often wondered and in my own mind, pictured it being shared on their way to Gethsemane. John 14, he recognizes the emotional dynamic of what they're feeling and he reminds them that he's leaving, going to prepare a place for us and he'll return. And when one of the disciples said, where is that? Where are you going? How do we get there? Jesus gave the answer to life in John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but through me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. That I am is the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, visibly evident in Jesus that great I am in who he said he was and who he offers himself to be. He promises them the power and gift of the Holy Spirit that you're going to hear about in a few weeks on a Sunday morning. He reminds them and us of how important it is to stay connected to him in a world that tries to pull us in different directions, in a world that preoccupies us with other information. He said, I need you to fully understand how incredibly important it is to stay connected to me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You got to stay connected to me. And then of all things, he finishes by praying. I've often pictured him now being in the garden of Gethsemane, kneeling beside that rock or in another place and praying for his disciples. And then incredibly praying for us. I don't know about you, but that's the most unbelievable moment for him to pray for them and for us that you can imagine. I mean, I would have been much more concerned about what I was going to face in the next 48 hours and what it was going to hold. How painful is it really going to be? But not for Jesus. He thinks of them and thinks of us. In Gethsemane, he sets aside his own concerns, not my will, but thine be done. He knew by saying that, that he was going to pay the ultimate price and a very horrific price. Even having what many believe the father turning away when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And on the cross, he demonstrates love in every way imaginable. From his concern to his mother, to concern to the thief beside him, and asking forgiveness to those beneath him who put him on the cross. I can't even fathom that kind of love. Think about it. The scattering of his disciples, the betrayal, the denial of the one who said he never would, having God himself turn his back on him. Both Matthew and Mark record that, knowing that his mother had to watch all of that, an incredible amount of love demonstrated for you and for me. He left us a reminder of that event. And these two elements, the bread and the cup, simple bread, simple juice, reminders of the greatest sacrifice in the history of humanity. I'm going to share them in a moment, visibly in front of you while you're sharing them together in your home. And then I want to pray. I'd love to know that we're all praying at a similar time frame for ourselves, for our families, for our nation, for our world. And in this moment, on this Good Friday night, we are considering him. We are remembering him. We are taking that bread. We are holding it in our hands. We are thanking him for the sacrifice that he made. We're sharing it together. And then we take the cup. And we thank him. And he said, every time you do this, remember me. I think you've heard me say for the last 24 years, how could we ever forget? How could we ever forget that kind of love? But I wonder sometimes in the middle of all the things going on around us, that it would be easily for us to be distracted. And now tonight we concentrate on him. And him alone. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my
I thank you for your sacrifice. There's no way words could ever fully describe. Even an illustration at the beginning of the one who tried to describe I love you so many times over and over and over again. And as simple as that phrase is, it was the best he knew to describe that kind of love. And for us to say thank you for your love almost seems incredibly inadequate to be able to express to you how grateful we are for the love you shared for us, with us, to us, and for us on the cross. And so tonight as my family and friends and many others gather together and we spend time together, we pray together for our families, for those around us, for our neighbors, for our friends, for our church family, pray for our nation, for those that are over us and leading us through all of this, pray for people around the world, many who have already had this virus, some who have already lost family members because of it. Some who are wondering, will I get it? Will my family be impacted one way or the other? God, in the name of Jesus and by the power of the cross, we ask that this virus be gone, that it be wiped off the face of this earth, and that your people who are called by your name, who tonight as we gather together in this occasion, ask you to forgive us of our sins and heal our land. We thank you for the sacrifice, for the opportunity to gather together as a family of God. May your grace and your love abound and may it spill over from us to those around us on this weekend. I look forward to Easter Sunday. Can't even imagine what it was like for them because all they knew is what they saw. Here we are in 2020 living on this side of the cross and this side of the resurrection and we know Friday is the darkest day in the history of humanity but Sunday's coming and we are going to celebrate the resurrection 
of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Until we see you face to face, we thank you for your love and your grace and your sacrifice. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you in some way, obviously visibly this way, on Easter Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Have a great, blessed weekend. Hey, CAC family, thank you so much for watching our Sunday morning worship service and for tuning in each and every week. We really appreciate that. All of our links and resources that we're going to be providing can be found in the description below. Also, if you wouldn't mind following, liking, and subscribing on our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube pages so that you can be up to date on all the digital content that we're going to be releasing over the next several weeks. We're going to try to have a daily post on one of our social medias to keep you engaged and to also keep community alive here at CAC. Also, any of our service times or information can be found at our church website, butlercac.org. We have sermon discussion questions available for youth as well as adults. Specifically for kids, we have our weekly Bible video, parent guide, as well as games available online for Wombaland and Upstreet. We also have our parent guide, Wombaland placemats and Upstreet widgets available at our pickup outside the main doors here at CAC. For youth, we have our YouVersion Bible app reading plan that a whole bunch of us are involved with. We're having some awesome discussion. If you'd like to get involved or get more info, please follow our youth Instagram at youthcac. As always, we thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you have a blessed week.